morning, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we gather around a table, we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course, and we're entering the end of our uber western marathon. Ah, the twilight of it, our of our days. It's a two-parter, so we had a full-out anti-trash western marathon for the month of January, and in the month of February, we have now done good old-fashioned good trash movies of the western genre, and we're concluding our marathon with Hostels, starring Christian Bale. And uh, all I kept wanting him to do the Batman voice. I just you know he has a very the, the the voice he's chosen to go with for this character is this really kind of like weird soft spoken thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're gonna have a lot of conversations about some acting choices in this. I suspect. There are several choices yeah. and screenwriting choices too, for that matter. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay, so uh, anyway, well, in case you're tuning in, oh, wait, 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 before we go any further, let's identify the voices speaking to your brains. Yeah. Who, are you, who are you to my left? I am Arthur Gordon. And how did you feel when you podcasted your first? Oh, nervous boy! Uh, thank you very much. Uh, who are you, sir? My name is Dalton Stewart, and we'll never get used to the rough, the Lord's rough ways. I, I suppose not. My name's Dustin Sells, and I don't have a quote. Um, That's fair. I don't care. Uh, a, lot, a lot of self seriousness in this film. I get it very much. Existential yelling in the woods. Ex- existential yelling in the woods. That's what I'm doing all the time. That's all I ever do. I know. Um, so <laughs> I've been to your house. <laughs> yeah. Hey, where's Dustin? Oh, there he is. He's in the uh, woods. He's in the yard. <laughs> Existentially yelling, which is um just just like regular yelling, but with a slightly sadder pitch and uh like a a filter across. Yeah, it, it is yeah. it is nearly indistinguishable from regular yelling if uh, to the untrained eye. Yes, so, that's yes. very nuanced. Could be madness. Could be existential angst. You so, never know. Now that you've been introduced to us and Dustin's lack of quote, what do they need to know now, bud? I guess they need to know what kind of show they're listening to. If you've tuned in for the very first time to the Good Trash Genre Cast, uh, this is not a review show. It is an analysis show, and this is a 2018 film, and we're going to talk about it from beginning and middle to end. I th- yeah, it's a 17-18 split. I've seen it listed as both. Kind of yeah. weird how that worked out. It hit late 17 and then opened wide in January of 18. So yeah. I think it's technically a 17. Gotcha. Because that's okay. when I qualified for awards and stuff. Was it? Well, okay. Fair enough. But yeah, it's uh, very recent. It's very, very recent. And uh, what we do, because we do analysis, there will be spoilers. However, we will avoid them for the most part. We'll do it this way, by having a synopsis from the film and then a th- set of thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which will be spoiler free. We'll play a game which could involve gentle spoilers. Uh, maybe, maybe not this week. And then we get down to business, and that's when all spoiler bets are off. So if you have not got down to watch Hostels, um, don't. But also, um, if you don't want to be spoiled on it, you can listen to basically half the show before you have to sort of uh, get yourself in that spoiler sequestered space. So you have now been warned. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and hear the synopsis from the voice of that there cinema. Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, please. In 1892... A legendary army captain reluctantly agrees to escort a Cheyenne chief and his family through dangerous territory. I don't know why I pronounce those words, sh, instead of ch, but whatever. Cheyenne, Cheyenne. Cheyenne, Cheyenne chief. Cheyenne Cheyenne chief. Yeah. A Cheyenne chief. Yeah, three off there a little bit. Yeah. So. Yeah, that is what happens. So, yep, um, it's, it's a road movie, sort of, without roads. Where they're going, they don't need roads yep. beat me to it 
Well, that feels like a good place to start the conversation before we get to those thumb down. The lack of roads. <laughs> the lack of roads uh, is exactly a good place to start because this is our final uh, Western. Uh, it's a very recent one, so it kind of feels like a good place to but end our marathon. It's a northern. They're going north. Yeah, they're going north. And uh, so, so the West is officially closed for business. Uh, they're, they're closing up shop, and it is a road Western, much like many of the Westerns we watched uh, this marathon. Uh, or these two marathons. Does it check all the boxes for you guys? Does Hostiles definitely qualify as a Western? Um, yeah. I, I mean, technically, I think so. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, a, I mean, I would put it there. Yeah. Yeah. Period we, piece. You yeah. know, um, horsemen and Indians. So it's uh, it's interesting that this good trash uh, entry, this closer for the good trash, definitely seems to have anti-trash aspirations. I thought that kind of made it an interesting way to close this marathon out. There are pretensions, you might say. Uh, yes, though you, you would. <laughs> you would. So, uh, well, Dustin, let's go ahead and start with you. We normally let you close out, but uh, I saw that you gave this half a star on Letterboxd. Half a star. Be- it's such a waste. You've got West Duty. You've got Roseman Pike. You've got Christian Bale. These are all people who know what they're doing. These are all people who are very good at what Timothy they do. Timothy Chalumet, Jesse Plemons. For like uh, 10 Scoot, seconds. Scoot, not Scoot McNary. Um, damn it. Oh, I'll, I'll get his name here in a ben little Foster. bit. Ben Foster. Ben though. Foster, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's a, it's a great sort of group of people working together. It's an interesting idea. Sort of the uh, complicated nuances in a sort of slice of life of who all the bad guys are. Because it turns out there's bad guys everywhere on you know and again the sort of two sides of the native americans and the white westward expansion settlers um that some of them are very bad um on all sides and that's fine um yet it doesn't do anything with it and it doesn't earn its moments um there is a particular uh, deathbed sequence that until they started weeping over one another i didn't even know they were really friends i just it was it was it was totally unearned and uh, it was so. Yeah, there's that. Um, I, I again, I think it's just it's got the parts to do something. It's got the parts to be really pretty interesting, but it utterly fails to really accomplish any of that. That and then it opens it opens up with a sequence where this movie actively hates you. That, yeah. That that opening sequence, um, the initial trauma suffered by Roseman Pike's character, is awful. It is absolutely. Oh, heart-wrenching and yeah and i'm like i don't trust you movie i'm I'm out i don't trust you i don't like you you're not my friend um we are not gonna go steady we're never going on a second date and uh that's how i felt the whole time i was watching the movie so it's um it's definitely a solid thumb down for me and that, that that's most of the reasons why i would say uh what do you say arthur thumbs up thumbs down on hostiles uh this movie sucks uh it's garbage <laughs> wow um and, and much to uh dustin's points uh, uh i i will say i will give it this it, it looks great it, it's pretty. beautifully shot uh well costumed christian bale's doing a good job uh, that's about where the buck stops on on pros. Uh, I, I think that, like Dustin said, it doesn't earn any of its major beats. It, it doesn't earn its ending. It, it doesn't earn the character turns, which kind of come out of necessity rather than uh, anything logical. You said necessity. I thought nowhere. Well, they don't come out. I mean, there should have been a necessity for. I mean, they do come out of necessity for the plot to move forward. I think. I get, well, yeah. I mean, for the pieces that they've, and the problem is, it, it has the pieces there, uh, but it thinks it's doing something with them, and yeah. it's not. And I think that's the sin of of the film. It's that it's wants to be saying something, and it's not. It's 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 a failure at every turn. I think, and 
uh, for the the character turns that do come towards the end of the film, they they make no sense. And, and also, I don't think that they set up Christian Bale as a bad enough guy. Um, he, I mean, he's done terrible things, but we don't really see him. Mm-hmm. You know, we we see a grouchy old man, um, and and just putting in things like, you know, t- ten minutes into the movie, he's out doing this. I made the joke of the existential screaming. He's out in the desert. Oh, he's going to kill himself. Ah, montage editing of grabbing my hair and pulling it out. Ah, uh, I mean, it's those types of beats that just don't work. I mean, it, you can tell that it's got loftier intentions in mm-hmm. mind that it can never fulfill. And, it it and, looks pretty. Yeah. And, and, and that moment even, that moment is well oh, shot. Oh, yeah. I mean, hands down, great some cinematography. I'm, I'm not you know denying that, but just some of that editing and just that direction doesn't work for me. And I was pretty on board with most of the movie until about the halfway point where something happens to Rosamund Pike's character. And I'm like, come on. Oh, We're yeah. better than this. Yeah. And that's really where I checked out with this movie because she really uh, just exists to gain sympathy for for uh, Christian Bale to kind of us to anchor behind him. And it doesn't do it for me. And there are beats there that are just, what's the point? I mean, there's no point to some of this violence. Mm-mm. And, you know, I I can... I'm a Fincher fan, and I can go with nihilism, uh, but it's not earned here. Yeah, and so it's it is just I've never been angry after watching a movie in a long time, and I was just angry that I watched this, that I had to be put through this when none of it mattered. And so, yeah, it's it's definitely two thumbs down over here. All righty, well, Dalton, I think you're a little warmer than we are. I, I am slightly warmer than the two of you. I, I I don't disagree with anything anyone said, though. I mean, I I think this film really wants to be the film about the native genocide it wants to be the western about native genocide and it just it it's wearing that on its sleeve in a a way that's kind of aggressive um i learned reading up on the movie that the uh the actual original author of the screenplay died uh without sending this out he was a a working screenplay writer and uh his, his wife found this and uh ended up getting it sold um but he never put this out and uh, she really liked it and uh, Christian Bale really liked it. I can, I can see why people sign, why the talent involved in this signed on to the script because it really is trying to get at something, right? It's trying mm-hmm. to get at the, the mutual war crimes happening on both sides and it's trying to interrogate uh, essentially why native war crimes aren't war crimes in some ways, but it's also trying to look at the complete chaos and lawlessness that uh, colonialism unleashed on North America and how, it wasn't just about uh, the native people versus the colonizers. It was just kind of a, a land of violence against all for, you know, for whatever ends you want your violence to accomplish. So I, I, I like the ideas that, that we're gra- grappling with, and I know we'll probably get to that more in analysis. But, yeah, I agree. It just it always feels like it's just trying so hard, and especially that opening scene. I, I, I feel very similarly, Dustin, and I agree with you, Arthur. There, there's a point in the middle where it, it tries to even further the uh, the unpleasantness going on screen, and it just works against the film. I think I, I there's something I like. You guys talked about these these character choices and moments that feel unearned. There is something this film does that I, I do enjoy, which there's a lot of scenes of characters sitting and thinking uh, between scenes of dialogue, and um, I, I feel like that's supposed to communicate some interior life to us before characters make different choices than they would have earlier in the film you know after scenes like that and yeah i mean that, that either works for you or it doesn't i can see why that doesn't work but there's one in particular with rosman pike and west studi they're kind of juxtaposed against each other that i really enjoyed 
but uh, yeah, I, I I get where you guys are coming from, and again, I don't I don't disagree with anything you're saying. Uh, I, I do really like everybody's performances. Uh, Rory Cochran was who I was thinking of earlier. I don't know why I call him Scoot McNary, but here we are. He has a line about uh, uh, when they start working with West Duty and Adam Beach's characters to try and survive. Uh, he he lets them get a, away with whatever they wanted with what they want to accomplish to protect everyone. And Christian Bale gets mad. And he says, everybody does, everyone deserves their kill, Mm -hmm. which is just kind of an interesting thesis statement to this film. In some ways, this, this film has a complicated relationship with violence. And I don't know that it ever fully understands what its relationship with it is. Uh, And that, that might be the thing that, uh, that holds it back. I I will disagree though, that I I think the moment uh, of Joe, uh, Christian Bale's character and his Corporal Henry is at the deathbed scene you're talking about. I kind of like it. I Un-earned. I guess I guess th- this is the way to put it. This film has really good moments, but they are not strung together in a way that makes any of them feel earned. And so it takes the emotional impact that might be there in those moments and it makes them feel wasted. I, so I will agree with that. I think in the moment I really liked that scene, but you're right. It, it's the first scene that those two characters have together at all. Uh, and maybe it's trying to communicate something to us about the way Christian Bale's character guards his emotions, but uh, eh. eh. Now, there is something interesting, like with this being the end of our Westerns marathon, there is something interesting about this film as a Twilight of the West movie, right? As Arthur mentioned, they're headed east, or northeast. You know, they are, we're done. It's over at this point, pretty much. Uh, the The wars uh, with the native populations are pretty much done. I think they officially get called over in late 1920, uh, but they're over for all intents and purposes. So this kind of becomes a film about what happens after Wounded Knee. And that's an interesting idea. I mean, having uh, two guys who are on both sides. Now, here's the thing. They do specifically say that West Duty's character, uh, Yellowhawk, uh, is Cheyenne, and they say he was at Wounded Knee. Those were Lakota peoples that got massacred at Wounded Knee. So yes. I had a lot of questions during this movie, and the amount of research required to answer all of them was not feasible. But there does seem to be a certain amount of not checking all of our facts with it's, the screenplay. It's historically going on inaccurate in I mean, place. Well, yeah, and again, there's fictionalized characters for right. sure. Uh, I did learn that some some hair choices and clothing choices were uh, accurate. Uh, among uh, the, the depictions of the Comanche and the Cheyenne. So that was kind of cool to learn. Okay. But yeah, no, the Ben Foster's character straight up says that West Duty's character was at Wounded Knee. Yeah. And uh, he is explicitly stated to be Cheyenne. So that doesn't make a whole hell of a lot no. of sense. But uh, he's playing not Geronimo. Well, I mean, obviously. You know. I mean, Which that's... we almost, we did almost do West Duty's Geronimo. It was just a little bit harder to find than Hostiles. And I, I agree, Arthur. Uh, he, Arthur said this in our chat. We should have done Geronimo. I agree. Uh, West Duty gets a lot to do in this movie, but it's a lot of silent acting. Um, and I, I could have done with a more uh, featured performance that we probably get in Geronimo. So. Well, he only has, like, what, three lines in English? Yeah, very few. Very few. Uh, but I feel like his acting in, in Cheyenne and West Duty's Cherokee, obviously. So, I mean, he doesn't speak Cheyenne uh, as, you know... A, home language well, he's, he's able to affect it well. it seems it seems yeah. good christian bale seems good too again i don't know i wouldn't know good from bad but it seems good i like it in the moment ready for my kawa no mkade dakoigi was that was that is that real mm-hmm. it means you know good dirty white man fuck yeah cool <laughs> that's fun uh, and that, I mean, and no, th- that is what this film is, right? It, it is trying to get into the racial politics of the West, and I don't think it ever fully succeeds. And I, 
we're just kind of talking around that here at the end, though. Mm-hmm. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, that's where we all stand, dear listener. We are a little cool, but that doesn't mean that there's not a conversation to be had about this movie. And it's utter immorality, which is one of the points I want to address. I find this movie immoral, but we'll talk more on that anon. But uh, without any uh, further ado, let's talk about how you can have the conversation with us on the internet. That's right. It's time for the part of the show that uh, exists instead of commercials. We don't uh, try to sell you a toothbrush or uh, boxes full of uh, groceries. Um, we're just here to tell you that we make other stuff besides the show and maybe convince you to listen to some of the other stuff that uh, is part of the Good Trash Media Network. That's what this this network is that you're listening to. This is the Good Trash Genrecast. It's on the Good Trash Media Network. That's goodtrashmedia.com for all the shows that are under that umbrella and a lot of written content, too, from both Arthur and Dustin uh, and also uh, our very own Frightful Film, Kirsten Thurkelson, who's frequently on the show. We've also got podcasts from uh, Oklahoma City comedy legend uh, Wampus Reynolds, a loose five, where the, they break down a, a different late-night set over the course of a series of episodes with different comedians. It's very fun, and it's new. We've also got Arthur and uh, his wife Keisha's podcast, You've Got Love. Also new, also fun, also about... Not even just romantic comedies. That that would be an accurate way to put it, right, Arthur? Yeah, romance films. Yeah, romance dramas. Just anywhere there's a relationship is where we're looking. So all the movies. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, most of them. I, I would. It, you guys have stuck to films that are kind of explicitly about a relationship. Yeah. Before anything it's else. It's the A plot, not the yeah. secondary B plot. Yeah. Uh, Dustin's got all kinds of fun stuff that is currently on hiatus, correct? Yes, uh, coming back next week. So um, when you listen to this show, um, within a week, you'll be hearing the first uh, episodes of season two of the Borgo cast. Very exciting. And, of course, there's the praise down with Heath and Alex. So all that and more over at GoodTrashMedia.com. If you want to get involved with what we're doing on Twitter, that's at Good underscore Trash. I cannot recommend you do that. Uh, but if you're already on Twitter, it's a good thing to do. Uh, help us out. You can, you know, use a gtm or gtgc hashtag i don't i don't really care what you do um but if you know it makes you feel like you're doing something cool by tweeting about the show that's fun that is cool uh if you want to email us some some thoughts on the show good trash genrecast at gmail.com let us know how we're doing uh let us know your thoughts did we say something dumb did we miss a, a point that you think is important about a film that's a good place to let us know finally rate review subscribe do that thing you've listened to a podcast before uh, and if you want to help us keep the lights on, that's going to be patreon.com forward slash GTM. Go there for all that information. We're done now. Excellent, excellent. Well, I think now it's time to play the game. It might feel good, it might sound a little something, but damn the game, if it don't mean nothing, what is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? Behind the game, behind the game. I got game, she's got game. And this week's game is Rank the Marathon. That's right, Rank the Western Marathons, brought to you by Hostiles. Hostiles, it will almost certainly be near the bottom of everyone's <laughs> list, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Yes, indeed. And so I guess what we're going to do is we're going to run through the movies in order, and then we're going to rank them as we uh, in order as far as we uh, viewed them for the show. Yeah, and then we'll reveal where on our list they fell, just because there's this is a big marathon. We've we've done a big marathon like this before when we did our coming-of-age movies, and uh, this feels like a, a better way to do it. So we're going to try this out and start with uh, Stagecoach. Where does it fall on everybody's list? I'm going to put Stagecoach probably towards the top. I'd say probably around the four spot. Um, I, I did like Stagecoach probably a little more than I think either of you. Uh, I, I just think it works uh, uh, as far as the dynamic between the archetypes uh, in that journey. Um, and I just really like just Ford's style and the things he's doing there, the 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 use of that tracking zoom into the hero shot on Wayne, I think is just really good. And just the basics of 
film language are, are really on display in, in that work. And, and I think kind of having a stripped down narrative allows some of that to kind of shine uh, really strongly. And so I, I would like to revisit it and I, I'm pretty, pretty pro on that one. So I'm probably going to put that around the four spot. Arthur, I also have it in the four spot. Yeah. I, I think it, as far as this marathon goes, it is just super important. Uh, it's not a film that I, I put on the shelf, I don't believe. I didn't. Uh, I know you didn't. Uh, and I don't think you did either, Arthur. You might have. I actually. might have, actually. Um, but but it is very relevant to the, all the conversations we're having about hostiles, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but all the conversations we've had throughout this marathon, whether it is about you know the depictions of uh, you know whites and natives fighting each other, or you know whether it's about outcasts and weirdos and how they find each other in these slightly lawless places and uh, again the the technique going on in that film considering it's made in the 30s just kind of blows my mind so yeah number four spot for me what about you Dustin? number five smack dab in the middle really it is the middle and it's so basically the same thing as you guys yeah so I mean, we're all pretty close yeah real real close but i put it at number five for me uh well next up we've got yojimbo how do we feel about that dustin let's go ahead and start with you yojimbo i'm putting at number three okay i, I really like yojimbo a lot i mean i like kurosawa a lot and i think it's just it's, it's it's seminal um in a way that and i think it's just more fun to watch than stagecoach and that's part of my my ranking is a lot to do with what i would want to watch the order in which i'd wish to watch these things again if ever that was and, yeah that's exactly what i did as well and so um even though i wouldn't necessarily say yojimbo is the most important you know western sort of influence film that's outside the you know standard western genre or the best Kurosawa film it's still a load of fun it's a movie I really enjoy watching and so for that reason I put it at number three it also falls at number three for me for pretty much the same reasons yeah it's really funny uh, it's got some cool sword fights and uh, it, it moves I've got it at number six. You got a little uh, bit lower, lower yeah. a little wow. lower yeah because um, yeah, all those intersecting plots didn't quite work for you it, that it's just it's, not one I'll probably revisit a lot. I, I wasn't super into it. It's a little slower for me. And, um, you know, I, I like some of the ideas, but I kind of like them executed a little better in a fistful of dollars later on. And so for me, it's, it's interesting. And I, I think it does have some really good humor. I think it's got some mm-hmm. great comedy bits in it. Um, but ultimately it's, eh, I'm, I'm wasn't super in love with it. Totally fair. Well, next up, uh, is, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Where does that fall for you, Arthur? I imagine quite a bit higher. I was, uh, probably going to put it at number two. Okay. I, I do like it quite a bit. And uh, just, yeah, part of, I don't know if it's nostalgic because it wasn't something I watched a lot as a kid. I, I came to it a little later. Uh, but I just kind of love the uh, – we're with them in the, the quiet moments. It's, you know, not all of the flash and uh, sparkle of, of kind of what you'd expect from that sort of gangster heist film. Uh, just to kind of see them uh, on the run for a while and just kind of trying to outrun the the past and, and make their mark uh, knowing that it's kind of a useless uh, goal. It's, it's just kind of an interesting dynamic and just an interesting dynamic. It's just that whole era of filmmaking. Uh, and so I, I just like it as that example. And so I'm going to put it at number two. Yeah, I I, uh, I like all of those things uh, about it as well, Arthur. Again, uh, I, 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 with you, I enjoy the 70s and film, uh, but there's a lot going on in the 70s. Uh, and this is maybe uh, the style that I like less than I like some other. Well, wait, was Butch and Sundance 68, 68 69? Yeah. So it's kind of in that new Hollywood bleed over. Uh, mm-hmm. And this, this does kind of fall in a style that I don't love quite as much as some of that other stuff from around that same period. Uh, but I do love those performances. Those boys are charming as all get out. Uh, I just don't like it quite as much as you. I am sliding it uh, right in at five. Um, 
it's a little less watchable than Stagecoach for me, uh, mm. for obvious reasons. And yeah, I'm dumb. I'm, I'll cop to that. But uh, I just, um, yeah, it's not as uh, an, e- an easy breezy sit for me. So it falls a little bit lower. What about you, Dustin? I would rather watch Stagecoach than this, and that's okay. why I put it at number six. I mean, really, that's I mean, that's exactly the logic. Is between the two, I would watch Stagecoach first. Okay, and um, I like it. I mean, it's it's fine, but it it it, it kind of bores me. I mean, just to be completely honest, I just get a little bored Same. watching it. And uh, so for that, I mean, so it's not offensive in any way. For sure. And, and I want to be clear there. So it's, it's, there's nothing in it that I find repulsive or repugnant or anything like that. It's just I, I want to check my phone. Mm-hmm. I, I want to go look at the fridge when I watch this movie. And so that is, I guess, it's sin or whatever that sort of puts it lower on the on the list for me. Coming up next, The Coens and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Uh, what do we think, fellas? Um, I've got it right at five, kind mm-hmm. of just south the middle or right in the middle, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, it's it's got some great parts, but I, I I don't think the whole is you know greater than the sum of uh, those those parts. I think the the different elements are a little more stand out. The the ballad of Buster Scruggs itself and um, the how oh, can't think of the one with the Zoe. Oh, the girl who got rattled. Yeah, the gal who got rattled. Yeah, the gal who got rattled. And uh, but I, I, I appreciate some of the humor, and I'd probably revisit it quite a bit. So I'm uh, at five. Yeah, I, I suspect I would probably like this film more upon a revisit, but it falls down at number seven for me. Wow, that uh, far down. Yeah, there's just nothing here that I haven't seen before, mm. especially from the Coen Brothers. There are five movies inside of the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and every one of them has a feature length equivalent in the the Coen's filmography. I would say I couldn't pick them out of I'll line up right this second, but I bet if you gave me 20 minutes, I could probably figure it out. I, I draw parallels. Um, so, yeah, I just, yeah. And uh, the ways that Native Americans, uh, the American Indians, do show up in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, I think especially as we're talking about hostiles this week, it rubs me the wrong way. It mm-hmm. makes me want to throw it at seven. The Cohen should know brother, better. Um, especially because they've kind of uh, played with parts of this uh, idea of Western archetypes and especially narratives about the West before. Um, so yeah, it falls at seven for me. Number four for me yeah. because I do I do find it to be fun. I do find it to be enjoyable. It is I, very good. I, now there is there are repulsive, repugnant things in it, and, and the depiction of Native Americans is definitely one of those real sore blind spots. But the movies that I really like don't don't have them at all anyway. Um, so the parts of it are the the sort of little mini movies within the anthology. So All Gold Canyon, um, very good, is great. I do and I and I do have some appreciation for the gal who got rattled, which does have some of that depiction in there as well. It, but it does work better than it should, and I, I think it it's not quite that. It's that and Nogali so yeah. kind of together. It's it, but it, definitely Meal Ticket. Mm-hmm. I mean, Meal Ticket is just powerful, and uh, the performances are just great, and uh, it's just sad and dark and. I dig that. So I, I, I and again the the, ball, the titular ballad of Buster Scruggs is hilarious. I laugh real hard every time I think about it. Well, fellas, I think we've come to Tombstone, which makes it uh, num- no, that's number one for everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, what do you like about Tombstone, Dustin? It's fun. It's just man. It's a great action cop movie you know set in the West. I mean, what more do you want? And an incredible performance uh, from Val Kilmer. It, it, it's it, it's infinitely quotable, and it's just I it's nostalgia, and also just absolutely just a fun, 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 fun movie. So that's that's it for me. Arthur, what you like about Tombstone? I just love living in this world with those characters. That first hour of this film is we're getting and nothing's happening. 
it's just we're getting to know the Earps and Doc and uh, the city and, and the world that they're in. And I'm just so engaged in that dynamic at play, uh, especially between Wyatt and Doc and Wyatt and just everybody in town, really, uh, mm-hmm. just the way all of that works together. It's just I, I could probably if the back half of that movie was just more of them just walking around doing stuff. I'd be just as on board, I think. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and just like Dustin says, parts parts nostalgia, but parts just, it's fun and mm-hmm. it is uh, quotable. And so it's just so easy to rewatch, uh, even if it is, I mean, it's over two hours roughly, but it's still just a breeze, I think, to get through. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's the funnest film we watched in this marathon, hands down. And honestly, to me, there's something about it that kind of makes it almost the er western mm-hmm. uh, of the eight that we watched. I think it is the most western of all, including Stagecoach, uh, including all the anti trash stuff we watched. I think Tombstone has that energy that you you kind of expect from a western, and I think that it does what it says on the tin gives gives it just a little bit extra for mm-hmm. me. Uh, as you have both said, it's just full of great performances and great line readings and just fun gunfights and weird moral con- quandaries more complicated than you would expect it to have and it interrogates things with a closer and sharper eye than you would expect it to uh so there's there's something about this 90ness of it 90sness of it because it is a very very 90s action film but it kind of helps those western elements breathe and kind of helps it really be uh, a paragon of a genre in some weird ways with all of those those trappings that it has, not the least of which being Kurt Russell's glorious mustache. Yes. Um, that alone should get it at the number one spot, to be quite honest. Next up on the list, we've got Cowboys and Aliens. How do you feel about it, Dustin? Seven. Same. Eight. Eight. I think it's bad. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, we'll just keep moving on to... <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. We'll move on to The Quick and the Dead. I've got it at three. I got it at number two. I also have it at number two. There's really, uh, I, I could really go back and forth on Quick and the Dead, Tombstone, and Butch and Sundance yeah, at the top. Sure. I could rotate those out pretty easily. Quick and the Dead for me is just, it's, it's so enjoyable. It's uh, fun. And and the fact that Raimi makes this tournament, that's the challenge, I think, of a sports movie, is if you have multiple matchups, whether it's football games or basketball games or racing, you know, whatever it is, to make each instance exciting. Yeah. And when your drama, I mean, when you just got two guys shooting each other, or women in, in this scenario, um, shooting each other, you, you've really stripped it down. Yeah. Because there's not a whole lot that can happen. If you're if you're on a racetrack, there's twenty, thirty, forty cars. If if you're on a football field, there's sixteen people. You know. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot more at play that you can work with. When you just got two people in a in a street, it, it really limits what you can do. And I think he just does a great job of making each matchup interesting and, and unique. And I want to just sort of make a side note at, at about last week's game when we were, or was it last week when we did Quick and the Dead and we recast it, or was it two weeks ago? It right? was uh, last week. Yeah, it was last week. Okay, yeah. so long ago. I know. Feels Any, like it. But um, I think in uh, Cowboys and Aliens, as I was thinking about ranking these movies and they're right next to each other, we have the best Herod right there. Is is we need to bring Han Solo to play Herod? That's I'm a really yeah. great pick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's a standout. He's pick. the Baron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's already sort of doing it. But yeah. Anyway, I, I think it does all the archetype things that Stagecoach does. And again, uh, this is another example of that '90s postmodern uh, pop art sensibility that we kind of love about the mid '90s. It takes all those archetypes uh, and finds a new, fresh 
turn on them. They're a little bit louder, a little bit campier, a little bit weirder, but they all, you recognize them. They're not the same archetypes that show up in Stagecoach, but you recognize them as like, oh, yes, this is the uh, the expanded list of character classes for the Western, like, if that makes, yeah. that analogy makes sense. Uh, yeah, just, it, it's, it's the example of some of the same stuff going on in Stagecoach, and it's just funner and more interesting and different. Uh, I love it. It's yeah, one of my favorite like films, lot. honestly. Yeah, I, I love it a lot. Last up, we've got Hostiles, which is at eight for you both. Yes. It is at six for me, and I will just say, as we've continued to defend, I, I'm, the reason it... Is ca- this the hill you want to die on? No, not really. <laughs> Cowboys and Aliens just... It does what it says, and what it did wasn't that interesting. Uh, so it became this and Buster Scruggs. And yes, is it weirder to put a Coen Brothers movie under Hostiles? Probably also wrong but at the yes. very li- it came, it came <laughs> down to at least hostiles recognizes it should be saying something about how the west even exists it, at least it knows that it should try and i get went ahead and decided to give points for that today i don't know i could change my mind you know it, it's as arthur's top half was pretty interchangeable my bottom half is pretty interchangeable these are films Fair. that i'm not ever going to rewatch i don't have any interest in them or they rub me the wrong way and I decided to give this some points over Buster Scruggs just because it tried. And Buster just doesn't. Uh, and I get the Coen brothers probably have a reluctance to be like, mm, that's maybe not our, our story to tell, so let's avoid it. Uh, and that might be the problem that Hostiles have. Is this isn't really the people telling its story. Uh, but, yeah, I give it the points today. So it lands at number six for me. Uh, and we've all kind of made our opinions clear on this so i guess we should probably move on to the thing we came here to do huh i guess so let's do some analysis that's right that is our business and our business is good and we're bringing the analysis to uh the film hostiles um i want to begin with something i think that is a bit on the stylistic side because there is a lot of this very handheld kind of feeling to this movie. Um, it does feel, in a sense, a lot like um, Mudbound, honestly, um, in terms of its style, um, as far as like a recent example mm-hmm. uh, with all that. And that's not usually what you get a lot of from the Western. You get a lot of those super wide, super, um, you know, a cinema scope, you know, the big, you know, the expansive frame kind of thing. And I mean, this is definitely shot wide, but it comes in close in ways that I find it. It makes me think of The Revenant, too, which uses, you know, that natural yeah. light stuff and all those handhelds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, maybe it breathes some life into the Western. I think that it's an interesting idea to approach a western and i would say mudbound even though it's set in the 40s it's set kind of in a very much depression era south i'm gonna go ahead and say that's it's western adjacent sure um i i think taking a period piece like that though especially one that deals with violence and trauma and doing a lot of handheld work they impart some immediacy right it makes that doesn't it doesn't quite feel so much like history and feels like a real time that happened yeah and i like you, I think that's the thing. I think it adds that realism to it. I think that adds when you've kind of got those grand sweeping shots and cinematography, you kind of takes you out because you're looking at this epic in scope picture 
and this kind of puts you right there with the characters and in the action. Yeah, we get a lot of medium close-ups here, too, with those handhelds and I, that we talked about earlier. And I think that, as you mentioned, Arthur, that grounds you with the characters, yeah. right? Yeah, and I think a lot of, you know, it's what Quaron does in um, uh, Children of Men, even. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of got those same elements when he's got you right there with the characters, with your camera. And I think there's probably an attempt there to sort of steal some of the heroism out of the West in that choice. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of... You yeah. have to be up there with the violence while it's happening. It's a lot right. more raw. Yeah. Yeah. But, I'm not, again, I'm not entirely sure that, that that totally works but I again I find it very interesting to look at it's very pretty in that yeah. sense but ugh, also that so golly guys what do we do first now so I was once upon a time in a, in a class I can't remember what the class was but essentially uh, there was a session uh, where everybody in the room had like partnered up and we were supposed to like do little debates uh, and I failed to prepare uh, for that assignment uh, and so I got up and just kind of stuttered and stammered and faked my way through it and the teacher obviously knew uh i had failed miserably and i knew i'd failed miserably and that's what this film does it 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 has a thesis that it's wanting to tackle mm-hmm. and it just kind of stammers its way to it a forgot conclusion to do, it forgot to do all its homework yeah. yeah it 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 knows it's wanting to say something i think about cycles of violence and race um and just kind of i mean the hopelessness of the west i mean it was a miserable time uh, yeah. just so much could go wrong and, and did and, and I think it knows those pieces are there, but I don't think anybody knows how to connect those dots. Uh, and they get from point A to point B by making odd decisions, which really dampens uh, the themes that it's trying to dissect. I mean, the the whole, you know, by the time we get to the ending, spoiler alert, most everybody dies. Uh, it doesn't feel earned because we don't really understand at that point now why anybody's motives are you know we really start out with christian bell's is racist doesn't want to do this yada 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 as a personal grudge and he tries to get uh, west studio to knife fight him yeah, yeah. when they've started right off journey. the bat yeah yeah uh and studio's like no thank yeah. you and, and for him to go from there at the beginning of the movie to uh putting his and other people's lives at risk to make sure west studio who has now died of natural causes to make sure he is buried where he's supposed to be or laid to rest where he's supposed to yeah. be i should say uh, you're right, Arthur. It doesn't connect all those dots. And the best crux I can find, and I, I was kind of tuning out, but the best crux I could find is there's a moment where, um, oh goodness, what's her name? Uh, Rosamund Pike. Yeah, Rosamund Pike uh, is uh, uh, taken, and as long as uh, as well as one of the indigenous ladies that's with the the group. one of them or two of uh, them. It's both. It's Elf both Woman, who is. Uh, uh, I think Blackhawk. Uh, it's Adam Beach's character's wife, and yeah. she's uh, the actress that played uh, Pocahontas in uh, Terrence Malick's. Oh, New cool! World. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's Elk Woman and um, uh, Living Woman. Yeah, uh, both get taken. So all three of them fur get taken and uh, presumably raped. It, we don't see it, but it's it is pretty, pretty much explicitly yeah. stated. I think we can assume. Yeah, that. Um, it, it does spare us having that moment on camera, but yeah, it makes it a plot point. And at that point, it seems that. All of the men, no matter creed and color, are on the same ground that we've got to slaughter these fur trappers. Uh, and this whole sequence feels out of nowhere and unnecessary. I mean, those guys need killing, but... But the film didn't need to write those characters. Right. It, it doesn't need that whole sequence. It adds, uh, yeah, yet another uh, yet another tragedy, yet another act of violence, uh, and yet Against another Against Rosamund Pike's character. For, for all... This all, movie tortures her. It does, and it, it does... So for two reasons, right? It, it it tries to force a reason for Rosamund Pike to really have even 
even more friendship with the native women, but it's already established that Rosamund Pike is not passing on the violence that the Comanche did to her yeah. mm-hmm. to the Cheyenne. Like she has this moment of like shock when she first realizes that there are indigenous peoples at this camp that she's going to be living at because you know her wires are a little crossed because she's still in shock. Right. But it kind of gets past that very quickly. So we've yeah. already established that they like each other. Which is, I mean, that's another weird move. Like, yeah. That's the interesting piece of the story. So then it exists to have Wes Studi and Christian Bale work together to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and that, then they're just BFFs. Well, and so now we have taken the assault of these women and used as an excuse for these men to get over their bullshit. Well, and I yeah. think, I mean, the purpose, I think, that is in the mind of the filmmaker, I, I, I suppose, is that we've got Comanche Raiders. Yeah. And now we have Anglo Raiders. For sure. And it's, you know, it's drawing the... The through line that, it, it, as we've established with uh, the Cheyenne family that we're traveling with, that race is not the determining factor of violence doer here. It, mm-hmm. it, it yeah. is just people out Everybody of the sucks. Everybody is bad yeah. when they're not, when they have no reason to be good. There are no good people. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no good people in this movie. And we've gotten that already, though. We, Little Bear. We meet Little ba- Bear. Little, Little Bear's, Bear's great. Very all right. So good. But we meet bad white guys later in the movie mm-hmm. that kill women and children. Or, well, I And neither white women. people. I mean, yeah. Ben Foster's killing whoever. Well, mm-hmm. and I think this Ben Foster is an important piece of this puzzle that we have to look at, right? Because I think there's two moments when they get to uh, the camp that's run by oh, that Scottish actor I like. I can't think of his right. name. Uh, but they get there, and that's where they pick up Ben Foster. Yeah. And they have a moment with uh, where Rosamund Pike and Christian Bale have dinner with him and his uh, this general character's wife, who is a, a native rights activist. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about these poor living conditions, but this is shortly after Rosamund Pike's entire family has been murdered, so there is this silence in in the dinner room the dining room uh that's supposed to communicate that rosamund pike knows she's right but still feels weird about it Mm -hmm. i guess yeah and then we also pick up uh ben foster's character who has committed war crimes but not without the sanctioning of the u.s government so now he's going to be hanged and ben foster challenges christian bale on this saying basically i've didn't do anything you haven't done before. Yeah, well, yeah, but he said, but he went off the leash, and I, d- I was on leash every exactly. time I did Exactly, and it. so these two scenes are supposed to communicate to us that Christian Bale now knows what he did was wrong and should help West Studi and his family, I think. I guess. But there's not, you know, we get, as I mentioned, we get these scenes of people thinking and reflecting. There's one of Rosamund Pike reflecting on, is she going to stay here till Christmas, or is she going to ride to Montana with him? West Studi thinking about... After all this, now we're friends riding on the trail. I'm back in a cage because we're stopped for the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could have had a moment there of Christian Bale sitting and thinking. We never really get it. Um, he's always reacting to what other people are doing. And it's interesting. I like that Rosamund Pike's character has a lot of agency, and she does. It's weird that Christian Bale doesn't really have any. He's just I mean, he's forced to do this thing he doesn't want to do by, um, oh, my God, uh, Scott Lang. Uh, he's forced to be not kill this guy because this guy won't fight him. It's just on and on and on and on. And it doesn't give us any sense of growth, as you've both stated. And I agree that it really is a shortcoming of the film. Uh, But that through line, what do we think about this? This war crime that uh, definitely has been committed by Christian Bale, as they mentioned on camera several times, and this thing that has been committed by Ben Foster outside of the confines of a sanctioned massacre... I, I definitely think that it's right for the film to draw this through line between sanctioned war crimes and unsanctioned war crimes. Do, right. Do we feel like it does anything with it, though? Do I mean, we feel like that dialogue scene works? I mean, what makes you a murderer or not is whether or not the state's on your side. I, I th- not not the moral situation at all, right? I mean, and that's that's interesting, but not I th- well done. I think there's a, a, a failure in the 
the the development of these characters because as soon as we meet Ben Foster, we know he's a bad guy. He, he literally yeah. does an eyebrow cock at Christian Bale that says, "Hey, it's me from Three Ten to Yuma. Remember how we were in a western before together?" Like it's it's Ben Foster literally does like a Bugs Bunny wink yeah. at the camera, like I'm a bad boy in this one. Yeah, and. We know, I mean, it's pretty easy to assert. We're not supposed to like this guy. What he's done is heinous. We never get that with Christian Bale's character. You're right. That's a good point. The worst thing he does, I I mean, he is racist, and he doesn't want to do this. But he sees it as job. He'll do it because it's his job. He does say he hates them. but Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, there's he tries to knife fight West Duty, and then he puts him in chains. But, I mean, his character is never presented to be as heinous in, I mean, I, I feel like he should have. There's got to be a character moment early in the film where we set him up. You're right. They anchor all of that on Rory Cochran's character. Mm-hmm. And Rory Cochran, the, the the scene, the closest we get to that is when the two of them talk about, oh, we sure have been in the army for a long time. I don't know why he's a pirate, but <laughs> Rory Cochran says, oh, Christian Bale, we sure done been soldiering for a long time. Are yeah. you going to go hunt a, a great white shark off <laughs> Amity Island? Dark eyes, like a toes eyes. Um. <laughs> But yeah, Roy Cochran says, man, this this sure has been some killing we've been doing, huh? And Christian Bale goes, yep. And we don't really get to know that. And the closest yeah. we get is later, Roy Cochran. Basically, we just, it establishes their best friends. They both have very severe war PTSD, but only Cochran's, you know, had his guns taken away from them. But we don't know why Christian Bale's also messed up. We just know that he got stabbed one time. Mm-hmm. And that killing the guy that stabbed him was one of his favorite days. That's really all we know. We know that he's got a weird view of violence, but yeah, war will do that to you. We don't know that he's a war criminal other than it's insinuated. I guess the worst thing he does, I think it's in his introduction to mm-hmm. Bell's character when they they arrest or capture the indigenous peoples mm-hmm. before they go into the first yeah, war. Yeah, he doesn't lasso and drag him. But he just kind of stands off. He, he doesn't do anything. He other people yeah. do killing. Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's because he's a captain, but, you know, we get later Roy Cochran explaining to Jesse Plemons, who's just done his first kill because he's from West Point, that he's killed man, woman, and child of every color. And that's just, Mm -hmm. that's the job. You kill who the government tells you to kill, and you just move on about your day. Uh, And it's good for us to get that from Roy Cochran because it explains, you know, his character's suicide later in the film, and it explains why it means so much to him to kill Ben Foster. But we're just supposed to transpose those same monologues on a Christian Bale, I think, and it doesn't work. And it's again, it's unearned, though. I mean, you know, uh, Cochran's character, Tommy, you know, we don't get the sense that he feels bad till he finally just up and says he feels bad. Everyone just says, this is what I'm feeling. We're not shown actions that demonstrate those feelings. I mean, there's no reason to think it at all. It's like, I, you know, the killing, I'm used to killing. I think that's kind of bad. I hate losing people. That makes me feel sad. Losing, you never get used to. Yeah. Um, Makes me sad. But that's all you've got. That's true. And then one day it's raining real hard, and he's out in his nightshirt. And now I guess he he regrets things, and he gives West Studio a cigar to say sorry, which is paltry. Oh, it's a bad scene. That's a bad scene. Because it's the scene... It's the scene of the movie where a white character puts words to, we fucked up. Mm -hmm. And it's bad. And it's unearned. It's unearned. It's just Roy Cochran being sad. Well, it's after the rape. It's the the next night of camp. And it just feels... It might even be the same night, actually. Um, But yeah, it feels icky. It feels real gross. And the tobacco offering is a wet 
Cigarello. She mm. just feels a little paltry, yeah. But also, yeah, this, the scripting of the scene doesn't feel earned, and it's supposed to be a big moment. It just isn't. Yeah, so then th- th- I want to come to this question of morality that I've been thinking about uh, with this with this film because I, I do think it is trying to help us see that um, murder and torture was done by everyone. Totally true. You know, uh, read the story of Geronimo, that real life Geronimo done some bad stuff to some folk. I mean, it, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean that tortured people. You well, know. The, the idea most worth interrogating, right, is the idea that the invaded peoples can't commit a war crime because they're they are the ones on the defensive. Mm-hmm. They, every war crime uh, a defender commits is a, in response to an act of aggression on their home territory. Right. And that is an idea worth thinking about uh, and worth interrogating, uh, that white people were just looking for reasons to be butthurt uh, mm-hmm. and f- justify what they were already doing. Right. I don't know the film ever gets there, though. It just gets to killing's bad. Mm-hmm. And again, and it, I think that sort of neutrality of the film is fundamentally immoral because it is not an evenly matched uh, if we can just like no. you know put together a scale of who did as many bad things as this, this group of people you know or proportionality or whatever you want to however you want to ratio this thing out and somehow put them together in a scale and say yeah everybody's bad let's wash our hands of that chapter of American history and move on because there is clearly a guilty party in all of this and that that is you know the western white settlers um, that's Though, and I think it's immoral to sort of trouble those waters in that way without coming out and really taking a moral stance. And I think that's really the failure of the film is it doesn't take a moral stance to say this was done and there were reasons. And no, you know, things Geronimo did are heinous and that's fine or whomever did. There are heinous things that go on. But when we just say, you know, the West did this and made us into this, West Studi's character, he kills people because he's just preserving his own life. When we see him act in a vicious kind of way, again, his history is also sort of elided in the same way that Christian Bale's character is. But when we see him killing people, he's killing them gleefully, joyfully, just for self-preservation purposes. He's killing for the same reasons Christian Bale's killing um, throughout the film, when they're, you know, strangling Cheyenne with their handcuffs and whatnot off of horses and breaking their necks and well, that was out of beach, but sneaking off yeah. and hanging him or whatever, you know. I mean, it's just oh, that that was what you're talking about. Yeah, gotcha. the, two different scenes. There, there, there's an initial conflict scene where they where they're still cuffed. Yeah, and the the scene that where uh, Christian Bale gets mad at Roy Cochran yeah. for letting them go off in the night. And, yeah, 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 and take care of business, right? Well, and that's I, I guess that brings us to the everybody deserves their kill scene line, right? right? And what is that? Because that kind of maybe seems to be the crux of its neutrality is Roy Cochran's. And again, this is supposed to be an unreliable character, right? This is a character that has a skewed view of violence and, and death. But he's a guy that states that you know he killed his first person in the war at 14 uh, in, the, in the Civil War. So he's only ever known combat as an adult. Like he, He's known combat since he was a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we know he's supposed to have a skewed perspective, but we don't, we don't know really why Christian Bale's mad. It, yeah, it doesn't... It's, it's, sounds profound and doesn't really mean anything, which is a lot of what this film has going on, yeah. I guess. Um, I, I, I think it, it lands flat because there are so many films, you know, late 2017 released for this. And 2018 was filled with not even just films, but also television about trauma, uh, whether it's, you know, You Were Never Really Here, um, 
uh, if Beale Street could talk. I mean, both, you know, violent trauma, racial trauma, you know, generational trauma. 2018 was filled with films interrogating these ideas. And to watch this after all those really successful, even something pulpy and nasty and silly like The Punisher season two kind of interrogates similar ideas about what war does to people in more nuanced ways than mm-hmm. Hostiles does. So it, it does kind of show the more serious you get, it does kind of hamstring you. Sometimes you need to be pulpier and sillier to interrogate some of these big ideas, I think. Uh, but yeah, just 2018, the bar is set for high in stories about violence, right? Yeah, I think so. And it, this one absolutely fails to get over the bar or wax its head on it or whatever you want to say. So. We got anything uh, we feel like we need to say? I mean, I feel like we've uh, we've crossed all the the big boys off. I mean, you know, the rape's immoral. Yeah. Just just to have that in there, it's just mean. It's yeah, just, it's just mean screenwriting. Yeah, you know, and I mean, killing your children. Oh God, we didn't talk about them adopting a uh, little bear at the end of the movie. Yeah, that's gross, right? It's not earned. No, no, because no. it wants you to say, "Oh, look, Rosamund Pike's yep. family was killed by Comanches, and now she's going to raise the Cheyenne child." Yeah. Okay. Well, the great white savior continues another generation. Hey, mm-hmm. don't you know about all the uh, native children that whites stole out of their homes and sent to boarding schools to whiteify them? Like th- this film yeah. has no civilize is the word we use. Yeah, whatever. This film has no sense of history in in a weird way, mm-hmm. and it, yep. it feels like it wants to, but it, I don't. I I would love to hear hear the director talk about this. Uh, obviously, the screenwriter can't because he's, he's yeah. passed. But I would like to. I maybe would watch this movie one more time with a director's commentary. Just to see. Just to see, out of curiosity. Because I saw this in theaters. Uh, yeah. And I liked it a little bit more then. I kind of had the same feelings was, you know, I like what this is going for, but it's just, it's not doing it well. But I, I like it less for sure this time. And I definitely, uh, I can see why you guys hate it more. <laughs> hate it. Uh, whereas I just kind of, eh, on it. I enjoy the part where Christian Bale decides to start over uh, and hops on the train to head to Chicago to become H.H. Uh, H. Holmes. Right, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Man. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, yeah. Huh? My my favorite part of the movie is the end credits. Um, I liked Adam Beach choking that dude out with his handcuffs. That was pretty cool. That was rad. I did like Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons is always Look, good. Look, yeah. Jesse Plemons had a great year last year, and anytime I can see Jesse Plemons... Oh, excuse me, monsieur. It is me, Brady's favorite, uh, <laughs> lovely, lovely new ingenue in Hollywood, Timothy Chalumet. I am very French in this film. As I saw him, I'm sitting here with Isaiah watching this movie, and I go, oh, he's going to die. I said, yeah. yep. <laughs> he, they can't afford to keep him in this whole movie. Honestly, he's... I'm surprised they didn't kill off uh, the person of color first. I really like. I thought Hillary, they were, but yeah. he made it through. I-, I liked that guy a lot. I, I, I looked up his uh, his credits, and I-, I didn't recognize him from anything. Yeah. But he's and again, it- I like that moment. Yeah, it- him and Christian Bale like having this very tender soldiers relationship. This kind of father son dynamic is right. really sweet. But it- you're you're right; it's, it's not earned. But it's, it's a, a good miss- moment, and it's a missed opportunity. We've got an African American soldier. I thought the I know the I, first I, time I saw this film, I was like, "Oh, now we're gonna get." get somewhere. I mean, now we're like, going to do something. Because now we're going to talk about, you know, the, the sort of the dual American sins, right? You know, the institution of slavery and Native American genocide. We're going to wrestle with them both in the course of one film. No. Nope. And, and, and again, sort of, you know, mix our duplicities and those kind of things. And that, that could be interesting. I mean, there's nope. an opportunity there, but nope. missed. Every time the film just whispers to you. No. Nope. Um, yeah. Going back to... Uh, Complete 180 back to the game where you mentioned Harrison Ford as Herod. Mm-hmm. What about Chalamet as the kid? Love it. Okay, yeah. In yeah. The Quick and the Dead. The, honestly, of, of the the men choices we had, I think all Tom Holland was the only really good one. 
I like Shadi May. Yeah. As long as we kill a different performance. Kill him earlier in the movie. It's sexier. As long as you do that. Yeah, it is. Sorry, sorry, Tom Holland. Yeah, it is. Sorry, you don't you don't have that smolder, bud. You don't got it. I don't like Chalamet very much. I don't either. Yeah, I really don't. But I see why people like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it, it's a bit too much for me. He's a he's too art school drama kid for me. He's he, I, he's, he's probably Dalton in high school, isn't he? Look, here's the thing. <laughs> That's not wrong. Here's the thing. Yes, because every time I watch Lady Bird it, with my family, uh, yeah, they they make fun of me the entire yeah. time. I bet. Uh, and that's I can't not. Maybe it's because that's the first thing I saw him in was Lady Bird, but that's all I see is that mm-hmm. just that prick. And I'm that sure, seems to be him. I'm sure Timothy Chalamet is probably a nice enough guy in real life. Yeah, but he's just so pretty. And he's pretty in a way that rubs me the wrong way, and uh, he has the misfortune of being cast as that character, a person that I see, uh, <laughs> and I can't get over it. Yeah. Yeah, so. fair. All right, well, let's bring this home, huh? Let's render a verdict on this film, Shelf or Trash, Else or Instead. I don't think there's any doubts for me and Arthur, but I'd love to hear the additionals. What What are you going to say, though? Trash. Yeah, you say it's trash? Good. Yeah, you can skip this. Uh, we probably should watch Geronimo. Hell, we probably should just watch Smoke Signals, honestly. Or Bury Me at Wounded Oh, Knee. man, Smoke Signals is so good. Smoke Signals, for those of you who don't know, it's, uh, was the first film uh, created uh, by an entirely uh, native cast and crew. Uh, Big hit at Sundance when it came out. But I we use it in do, my film and theology syllabus every year. We wanted to do like a capital W Western to close things out. So yeah, and Arthur's right. We probably could have done Wounded Knee. Uh, but it was an HBO movie, so it felt like we should... Yeah, this was the wrong call. Uh, we, we knew we wanted to do one Western about Native Genocide. I had seen this one. It was streaming. So I said, yeah, it's, it's fine enough. We can do this. Sorry, guys. Uh, what should you watch instead? Do Penny Dreadful. Do you want to see West Duty do something way mm. different than what he normally gets to do? Go watch season three of that. Yes, he's still playing. Uh, he's still in a Western. He's still playing a, a character with a, a Native background. He's having to do some spiritualism stuff. Is, is he kind of a magic minority? A little bit, but I think it's fun to see him get to do a, such a pulpy performance. Okay. I mean, he does knife fighting and turns into a werewolf. Groovy. It's such a silly, awesome thing to have happen in life. Uh, next, go watch 310 to Yuma. Better Christian Bale, Ben Foster Western. Uh, just better story about violence. Uh, and then I would say uh, check out Hell or High Water. Uh, a film that I think has some of these same things on its mind and knows that it can't address them directly. It's got to come at them from the side. Uh, so that's what I would say you, you pair to check out with this. Very good, very good. What do you say, Arthur? <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> this movie will probably come back up at the end of the year uh, Ooh, when we hand mama. out a certain award. Oh, mama. Indeed. That early, huh? Yeah. We're going to we're gonna have to find some competition. Yeah, we will. All right. That's always a fun challenge. Yeah, it is. Um, with it, yeah, 310 to Yuma, because it's the better Christian Bale, Ben Foster pair up, right? Yeah, it is. Um, also, I think True Grit, I, I, I think the, the Coen brothers True Grit, uh, mm-hmm. which kind of tackles some of those same ideas, especially once Maddie has to protect, uh, Roland's character mm-hmm. at the end of that film. And then, so those kind of dealing with that, those elements and violence and things there. Uh, and then, uh, I would also say Wind River, um, kind of one of the, the other, modern uh, one. Tyler Sheridan, or, uh, Ty Sheridan. Ty Sheridan, also scripted. Um, I know it's got some problematic scenes in it as well, but I think it does a much better job of, of really bringing to light the current troubles of the native peoples. I, I think you're absolutely right, Arthur. I think, uh, that might be part of what feels wrong about Hostiles is like, this didn't end. Like, we we still didn't fix this. Yeah, life still sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of people in this country. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people who have more right to have a good life in this country than literally fucking anyone yeah. else. Uh, and you're right. Wind River's problematic, but uh, I think Ty, uh, for his, his directorial debut, there's a sensitivity there. Yeah. Uh, he's got some missteps. Uh, should a white man be telling that story? I don't know. 
but I think it says something about his character that he wanted to tell it and he yeah. wanted to tell it sensitively. So I, yeah. I agree, Arthur. Though I like that film. Justin, where do you where do you do? Trash, 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 trash. Yeah, trash. What, I mean, what, yeah, I know. Yeah. But what, what should they watch instead? I just, uh, everything. I mean, anything. Watch the room. I mean, just anything's better. Um, but uh, and <laughs> oh, hi, little bear. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Golly, let's play football. Um, I did not rustle the cows. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word. But uh, yeah, I think uh, actually you've already named the two things I had in mind. Watch Geronimo. Um, I think it's great. Um, it's, it's a very, very fun movie. Uh, it is a movie that I watched in a, uh, cinema that was full of Native Americans, um, more so than there were white people. And, uh, the cheering that happened when white folks died was awesome and terrifying and cool. Hey, what part of the state is, is, uh, is, um, Carnegie, that place you're from? Southwest Oklahoma. Wait. Geronimo is Comanche, right? Geronimo is an Apache. Oh, he's Apache. Okay. But that was former Comanche land, right? Where, uh, um, your hometown's at Carnegie. Carnegie, well, it's, it's the Oklahoma. Kiowa tribal headquarters. Gotcha. There. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, my, dang, I, I was just trying to make connections that weren't there. My my, my folks are all Kiowas yeah. that I hate. It was with. still good yeah. as hell, though, huh? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was very very fun. That's and so also, fun. this great line where uh, Wes Studi as Geronimo shoots the uh, water jug out of a guy's hand, right? And Jason Patrick looks at him and goes, "Oh, that's a great shot." And Wes Studi in his absolute yep. Wes Studi goes, "Not so good. I was aiming at his head." I love Wes Studi <laughs> so, so much. Awesome. <laughs> Oklahoma hero. We're going to have to do uh, a marathon of Oklahoma actors at some point. And, mm. uh, we'll get some more West duty on the show. Yes, please. It. And thank you. And, and Smoke Signals. I think Smoke Signals is a fantastic um, fathers and sons road movie, friendships and brotherhood when it's beyond sort of the bloodlines. And all of that stuff is going on. And then just the best monologue about how good fry bread is in the history of ever. Fry bread that can walk on water. Fry bread that can raise the Smoke dead. Feels good. Man. I do want yeah. some fry bread. And mm. also uh, Baby Adam Beach. Also that, yes. Yeah. So um, those are my recommends. All right. Now, Dustin said he would only do one more episode if we would allow him a, a short segment on this episode to talk about a, a director who recently passed away, a filmmaker who recently passed away. Uh, he challenged us to do some homework, so we did a bit of homework as, as best we could. This is the kind of content you get on Good Trash Nights. Nice. Nights. And we're going to give it to you for free because it's important to Dustin. He wants to talk about Jonas Mikas before we uh, we say goodbye today. Yeah, so Jonas Mikas, um, at the time of this recording, died exactly a month ago at age 96. And uh, some of the byline eulogies called him the godfather of American avant-garde film, and that is not wrong. Um, brief biography, and then we'll talk about the handful of movies that we watched about this. Uh, Mikas was uh, born on Christmas Eve in 1922, um, was escaping the Nazis, was put in an internment camp, finally got to the United States in the early part of like 1949 or so, uh, took out a loan and bought a Bolex 16 millimeter camera and just started shooting movies and just got obsessed with cinema. He was the very first film critic at the Village Voice and created the movie journal um, section there, hired a kid called Andy Saris to start doing some writing uh, for him, then founded a new um, uh, film magazine called Film Culture in which Andy published a thing about tourism that sort of made some waves. Um, he gave. He was the guy who introduced Lou Reed to Andy Warhol. Fuck he, off! Uh, is he really? Uh, yes, he is. That's incredible. 
Um, he is the guy that sort of just single-handedly put together what he ended up coining as the New American Cinema, which is the avant-garde experimental film of the 1950s and the 1960s. He's the guy that made that stuff happen. He's the guy that was putting together the programming. He was advocating for them in the Village Voice. Village Voice was a very, very small newspaper, but fortunately there was this huge newspaper union um, strike, and the Village Voice was not affected by it. And so it went from a circulation of like 20,000 to 200,000 in like a a month, and that was at the time that Jonas Mikas was doing this, so his his film journalism just sort of took off um, as a result of it. So it's, it's a, sort of a lucky thing um, that worked off there. But he ends up working with like Ken Jacobs and Stan Brakhage. He ends up he ends up making basically just the American avant garde happen in the United States. He ends up fo- founding this organization called the uh, the Filmmakers Cooperative, which later develops into the thing called the Anthology Film Archive, which is where you find all the prints of all of these great experimental movies of the sixties and the seventies, but also keeping on going. They continue to put the stuff together. Um, at my school, um, Oklahoma State University, we have a, a film program called Exciter Bulb and uh, once a month uh, we get film prints and we watch experimental films for an evening and uh, we almost always get our prints from Anthology Film Archive. The reason why I have access to this sort of stuff, um, to see it on screen projected is because of Jonas Mikas and uh, so he's a he's a pr- film preserver he's a film critic, he's a filmmaker Big damn deal. Yeah, um, he's got a great set of films. Um, I'll talk about a couple features real quick just to sort of give you an idea then we'll talk about the shorts we're going to look at uh, for a second, um, two of the one, the ones I know the best are uh, Lost, 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 which is a diary of just what it's like to be an immigrant growing up in the United States and to be lost of a country. And uh, it's it's this sort of poetic diary sort of thing. And it's very much like Walden, which is also the same kind of thing, um, although Walden is more about what life is like in New York in the 60s. And uh, so there's a lot of Allen Ginsberg and a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on with all that. And then he's got another movie. Uh, the only, the most overtly political film he's got is a movie called The Brig, which is just footage of Marines beating up Japanese internment camp um, members. Shit. And uh, he is he's intense. And he's Dang, this, Jonas Mikas. And he's this crazy advocate for all of the cinema to happen. That's very very confrontational. He gets arrested in 1963 for showing uh, Jack Smith's Flaming Creatures, which is one of the earliest uh, bits of queer cinema in the United States, uh, which was a uh, pretty sexually explicit and uh, overt gay and uh, yeah got, and it's a badge of honor that he wears so fought and beat the, ran away from Nazis does this kind of stuff invents Jonas American film culture I just watched these movies and thought they were good I didn't know any of this yeah he's a he's a really really rad guy and uh, so I, I'm, I've got a lot of love for him that's that guys this is why I wanted to do this I get it he's a big deal so we watched Son of Avignon uh, crap what were the other ones uh, Cassis Cassis Krishna. And Mozart Wine and Elvis. The particular uh, sort of playlist from which we got these movies is actually uh, a version of a uh, DVD that you can purchase um, from uh, Re- Renoir Films, and it's called The Short Film Works of Jonas Mika. So all of these movies um, that we're going to talk about today are on there, plus about four or five more, um, yeah. if you're interested in purchasing that for yourself. Son of Avignon is a banger. It's, uh, it's awesome. from like 2000, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a yeah. later one for yeah. him. Uh, I think it was my favorite. It was really? very weird. Uh, I liked uh, the long, droning monologue being uh, thrown up on uh going on while there's text being thrown up on yeah. screen. It's a really fun like cognitive dissonance yep. thing. It feels a lot like Lost 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 in that way. Yeah. Uh love the accordion at the end. Mm-hmm. Love the moments of silence. Ugh. Great. So yeah. Um 
yeah, uh, it's definitely the most abstract of those. And um, yeah, that that idea of the the kind of what and whatever he's doing on the vocal effect thing that what however that's being recorded is very interesting as well. But yeah, to to contrast that with the uh, the written text and trying to like wrap your head around both of those things while also putting in these other images uh, it was really interesting. You know, I don't have a lot of experience with experimental filmmaking, but it, it's always interesting to see it play out. Um, there's something very meditative about it, and I appreciate mm-hmm. that. It makes you immediately feel something. Yeah. It doesn't require the full 90 minutes that a narrative film often does. It yeah. just strips out all context and only gives the the fun parts, honestly. And something very, I, I feel like, much more artistic with it when you're playing with the actual mode and, mm-hmm. and the, 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 the paraphernalia, I suppose, of filmmaking rather than just a, a story or a character. Well, well said. And Mikas has said before that film is like literature, and there's all kinds of literature. And so you have narrative, and you have non-narrative, and you have experimental, and you have poetic, and that kind of stuff. And in the glut of uh, eulogies that came out over the last month since his passing, one of the things that Jim Jarmusch has said about uh, Mikas is he is the kung fu poet of American cinema. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, I think in Song of Avignon you see that. That it, it is, he's making poetry by making moving images with sound. Yeah, it was very cool. Yeah, I think for me the second one we watched, Cassis, uh, was the one I enjoyed the most. Um, just this kind of, uh, you know, meditation at the lighthouse and this kind of time lapse thing going on, and a very frenetic but also very soothing and, and uh, reflexive. And I, I just kind of found myself drawn into that one quite a bit it managed to be both high energy and super calming at yeah. the same time yeah it's that's great insane i think it's that use of the blues and, mm-hmm. and those hues like that really really helped to uh push that point home uh yeah it's just it's a fun time lapse uh we're only getting a few seconds at a time uh it looks like we're probably skipping forward by about an hour each time we you know, they they ran out of sixteen millimeter in the can, probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, he and he just selectively just picking a couple frames and a couple frames, and they're not in order or anything. He's just doing what he wants to do. Oh, that's a good point. You're right. Yeah, because yeah, boats were. are leaving, boats yeah. are coming, people are there, people aren't there. Yeah. That's great. I yeah. love it. Uh, Hard Krishna was a ton of fun. We just it's, watched a parade of Hard Krishnas with uh, out of sync audio of them singing. Mm-hmm. And it, it that's an excerpt from Walden. Okay. So uh, uh, alternative takes from Walden. So you can see similar bits of that gotcha. in the Walden film. I like that one a lot. Yeah, it's, it's great. And it's Allen Ginsberg who's doing most of the chanting. Oh, that makes so sense. So the, uh, the poet who wrote Howl, among yeah. other yeah. things. That's cool. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the 60s, and he, yeah. he was part of the culture there. Speaking of that, we th- this one was not required viewing for us, but I did watch this one as well. It was called The, the Millbrook, Millbrook Report. Yeah, it's just an interview with, uh, it sounds like a cop or somebody that uh, took down a Timothy Leary compound. Uh, it's just an interview with this guy as you're being shown video of the compound with some uh, experimentation with the film itself right at the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a cool one. There's some callbacks to Hare Krishna in that one. Mm-hmm. But uh, the last one we did was uh, a two-parter. It's uh, what, what was the title? Uh, Mozart Wine and then Elvis. Yeah, Mozart Wine and Elvis. Uh, so much energy. Elvis is good. Yeah, Elvis is a lot of fun. It's just it's just 16 millimeter crowd footage of one of his probably his Vegas shows. Yeah, right. none of the audio. And it's yeah. so electric. And, and it's well, insane. he's like, I don't have to hold the camera still, and yeah. I just I, I can go nuts with this thing. And yeah, that, it works. And what what Mikas tries to do so much is to recapture the experience yeah. of a moment, and to try to recommunicate what it was like to be there. Mm-hmm. You'll see a lot in his films. He's got a lot of footage of just people like walking in a park, enjoying being together. Yeah, people. Um, again, uh, his Lith- he's a Lithuanian immigrant, mm-hmm. so he's part of this Lithuanian community within uh, Brooklyn, and uh, there there's like. Uh, 
uh, baptisms and weddings and people just you know hanging awesome. out and doing a barbecue and they've got a keg and they're they're pouring beer and drinking it and it's just that time together and you and and I think the Elvis concert is another one of those examples of him doing what he does with the camera and is very much attached to the body of the filmmaker always. Um, when he's doing that stuff is just to give you a sense of you're there. This is, this is not just me documenting or diarizing that moment. It is actually trying to make the spectator present in a moment in the past, which is fantastic. So yeah, Jonas Meekus uh, rocks. These movies were very good, and I'm glad Dustin made us watch them. Yeah, Dustin's really good about exposing us to uh, things we normally would never watch, uh, and so... That's half the reason we uh, make him show up, even though he doesn't want to. Yeah. Uh, the uh, least we could do was uh, this homework. I think he'll appreciate next week's film. What do we do next week? Well, hey, before we announce that, um, if you are interested in some more Meekus, um, and you already do Amazon or Amazon Prime, you can do the Fandor uh, seven-day free mm-hmm. trial, and they happen to have Lost, 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 and mm-hmm. Walden available there. Or just... Call somebody you know that probably has Prime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, help them steal from Jeff Bezos. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, because uh, I'm now contractually obligated, I will do one more movie. We did. We signed him up for another year. What do we got? Uh, well, a year? What What year? Oh, oh. Yeah, should have got a lawyer, bitch. Yeah, read the fine print. <laughs> Those writer clauses, Fucking they'll get you. You scrub, you absolute country rube. Have you not ah. seen the Santa Claus? You should know how this works. Have you not watched an episode of The Twilight Zone, you <laughs> fool? <laughs> well, next week, uh, we're going to do something a little personal to me, I think, uh, but I proved it with you guys. Uh, and so we are going to take on oh, the one movie we've probably talked about the most in doing uh, since year one, but we've never done it. Uh, we're going to do Blade Runner. It comes up all the time. It's, it's about time. Good trash required reading. Yeah. Uh, and I guess uh, this is one of the few films where it actually matters which cut you watch. What are we going to do? I've got the final? final cut. Is that okay with everybody? Final cut's fine with me. I have never seen the final cut. It's the only one I haven't seen, so it feels like the right I move. I feel like I've seen them all. Uh, I've seen directors and theatrical. And I don't really remember. Normally we would go with theatrical because that's what everybody sees, but this is one that's kind of in a different league because all the added footage and re-recording of things and changing of things kind of changes the film a little bit, I think, and changes the perspective of how the film was received. I don't have to watch it on a laser disc, do I? No, you do not. Thank you. Oh, come on. Arthur says yes. Uh, It stands. you got to do it. i got to buy a laser disc player now. Yes. Uh, Finally. So, yeah, we're going to do Blade Runner. All right. Final cut. So there you go, dear listener. You keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid.